This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome to episode 122 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Police, joined by Bridget Crew and Scott McLaughlin. Take two, guys. We tried doing this about an hour ago when you guys were at the Garden. You guys go home quick, so so tip of the cap to you. But they were the ice crew was demoing the Garden, it sounded like. Yeah, it's yeah, actually think, gone. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to have a whole new whole new place next game based on uh, yeah. how loud it was in there. No, I uh, think Scott needs to bring out his Riveter so we can you know go back to feeling like we were at the Garden. <laughs> You know, I was talking to Lena Salmark after the game and I asked him about, you know, what do you talk to Jeremy Swayman about after a game like Tuesday night? And said, you know, they talked about it a little bit, you know, a couple different situational things and then you just throw it in the trash and you move on. And that was what we had to do with the uh, first take of this podcast. It was, yeah. we realized pretty quickly it just was not going to work. So throw in the trash, move on and, uh, yeah, here's take two. This is how you know how bad it was. I was sitting directly next to Scott, and I could not hear Scott. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Like, I couldn't even hear Scott. You hop, you hop on the ice. You cause a turnover. You're a dash one. You forget about it. Short memory in, in hockey, and you move on to the next shift, right? Um, but but yeah, which Jack Stanika might have to do before uh, his next game. <laughs> Yeah, if he gets back on the ice. So, so you know, we um we tried to pull through, but we, we couldn't do that to the listeners. That was it was too much background noise. But um, we love you all too much. Yeah, yeah, we 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 couldn't do that to you. Um, so Bruins beat the Ducks two to one in a shootout. Taylor Hall gets a goal in regulation and the shootout winner. But the star of the show was Lena Solmark. Yeah, it stops thirty of the thirty one shots he faced, uh, including a huge breakaway save in overtime. It was really like pretty much a three on O for the ducks starting from their own end. And uh, he comes up with a huge save, keep that game going, get it to shootout stops all four shots. He faces in the shootout. And it's really just a continuation of, of a great start to the season for all Mark. Uh, he's been very good in all three of his starts, all three wins. And he's doing it at a time where, the defense is banged up and, you know, probably has to be picked up a little bit. And he's doing it at a time where Jeremy Swayman hasn't gotten off to a great start, obviously got pulled Tuesday night. And, you know, that I don't think there's any need to panic over Jeremy Swayman. I think he'll be okay, but it would, the Bruins would be in trouble if both goals are struggling. And fortunately they're not. Allmark has been very good. Um, and, you know, going forward, it's, you know, looking at the Saturday, the question becomes, do you just ride the hot hand or does Jim Montgomery want to keep this rotation going? And I asked him that after the game and he said, you know, it, it would be hard to go away from Allmark right now, but it's, you know, it's not a Saturday night game. It's Saturday afternoon. So it's kind of that 36 hour turnaround. He mentioned that, you know, Allmark did have to do a lot of work tonight and he was 
sort of you know crouched in, in in position a lot because they were defending so much so i would guess they're going to go back to swayman but uh it certainly seems like montgomery might be open to the idea of riding Allmark a little bit you know i don't think you're going to see him get like six straight starts but if he keeps playing like this you could see him get you know two or three in a row at some point yeah, Allmark is definitely the better goalie right now. But like you mentioned, the, I just think the next stretch of games, like the next four games, it just doesn't make sense to kind of try to ride him um, too much just because you're you're going in, like we said, 36 hours to the next game on Saturday against Minnesota. And then next week, there's a back-to-back, the 27th and the 28th, which one's at home and then one's on the road. So it kind of still just makes more sense to, to alternate at this point. But I mean, there's no question Allmark has been the better goalie through the first five games of the season. He seems so much more confident, Scott. I don't know if you like get that when you when you talk to him. He just like he's just having a good time. He's he's got all his jokes going, and after the game, he likes to just you know keep it light. So he seems like he's he's in a good space mentally. And uh, when we talked to Grizzlick too after the game, and he said someone said, "Oh, because I think it was Grizzlick and Bergeron." that crashed into each other and fell down and then gave up that three on O. And so Grizzly was like sitting on the ground while Allmark made that incredible save during overtime. And someone said, Oh, uh, did you have any doubt that he was going to make that stop? Like when you guys were, were crashing into each other and he's like, nah, we knew we had it, but <laughs> everybody seems very confident in Allmark. Yeah. And he, to your point about like him just feeling more confident, he was asked about, you know, like what, has allowed you to get off to such a good start. And he basically said he just feel, felt so much more comfortable coming into this season. You know, he's not going to a new team. He's not moving to a new city. He's not, you know, getting his family settled or any of that stuff. He's not getting to know the guys or his new goalie coach. He has a new head coach, but, you know, the goalies really work more with Bob Asenza than the head coach anyways. So all that stuff is now has been in place for a year and he knows it all. He's comfortable with it all, and he didn't have to go through that transition process. So I think, you know, for him, it was just he's so much more confident because of that and, you know, was able to go in without all that other stuff on on his mind or having to deal with it. He just shows up to training camp feeling good, knowing what everything is, and, you know, just seems to be like in a better spot going to the season, and it seems to be translating to his play. Yeah, the relationship between Swayman and Allmark kind of reminds me of a two-man scramble in golf. When you have a partner and you each take a shot, you go to the best shot, and you don't need to have both of you have a great shot. You just need one of you. So, like, if Swayman's struggling to start the year this year, you guys are laughing. I don't know if you guys play much golf. I don't play no, golf. I know, I, know what, I know what you're talking about. I don't really play much golf, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. It's, it's a format. It's, you know, I know. Yeah, I understand what you're it's, saying. It's one, rare, it's one of the rare circumstances in golf where you actually have a you have a partner. And and uh, so it's like, so so Swayman's struggling to start the year, but all Mark, it doesn't matter. Swayman, he duffed it. He duffed, he, he chunked the grass, he chunked the fairway, but guess what? It's okay because Linus put it right, right in the green. So later on this year, there's going to be times where Linus is chunking it and, and soaring it over the green and, and, and sculling it, and, and Swayman's going to be hitting dimes on the at pin high. So um, right now it's Linus's turn to carry the, t- tear the, carry the two-man scramble or woman scramble. Um, 
But, Which one are you usually, Brian? Are you the one? Well, who... I, well usually the two man screen, but I I do hit from the from the ladies to you, so it's kind of a hybrid. You know, <laughs> I kind of I kind of cheat the system there. Um, my best club's also my foot wedge. Nobody's looking. You know, little little tap of the ball. Nobody's looking. Um. So yeah, good start for Allmark, and um, I think they'll be, they'll be just fine this year. Um. Taylor Hall, I thought I thought the Taylor Hall Pashtunak Krejci line. I thought they were kind of – I didn't think they were great tonight. I thought Taylor Hall as an individual was was, was pretty good. Um, I thought Krejci looked like he was playing overseas last year in, in the Czech Republic. He, his decision-making was a little slow tonight. Not worried about him, but I thought he was off of his game. And I and I, at times, I felt like – look, they, they seem so excited to, to play together. They're kind of – trying to play globetrotter hockey at times. And I just feel like less is more. And I, I saw a little bit, a little bit too much um, fancy plays that just didn't work too much, too much trying to skate through people. And um, you know, the old adage, the puck travels faster than, than, than the players do when they're skating. So I just feel like they need to, they need to be quicker and, and, um, and they'll get going. But Taylor Hall, at least who struggled in Ottawa, um, I thought he had a, he had a better game tonight, you know, off, off and on the score sheet. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because, um, Montgomery said that he was the best player on the ice, the best skater on the ice besides Allmark, um, who obviously had a great game. Um, but so Taylor Hall, which is funny because in our last podcast, we were kind of like, well, he, Montgomery has been switching up these lines. It kind of seems like he's trying to get Taylor Hall going by shuffling him, you know, sometimes with Bergeron, sometimes with Krejci, just trying to get some sort of a spark. Um, And he, you know, seemed like he brought it himself tonight. He didn't need, you know, the line to bring him up. He, he brought the energy on his own. He scores that first goal. I, I mean, that was kind of lucky just in the, in the sense that the goalie just kind of, choked it up right back out to him that he was just like here have this puck and I, he did a good job Paul did a good job finding it uh it wasn't easy to get the stick on it but when I was talking to him after the game he was like yeah the goalie really should have just held on to that one uh because he, he pretty much put it right to me so he spins around he scores um and then you see him in in uh the shootout being able to get that Bruins goal that and then plus the Allmark save to get the win. So he he was, you know, doing what Taylor Hall does best, which is moving his legs um, if he can get out in front of the net, uh, cause some trouble out in front of there, and that's, that's how he played today. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think Taylor Hall is very professional, and I think he um, thinks about his game a lot and reflects on his game a lot and, like, puts a lot of work in mentally as well as physically. So I'm sure like he knows he wasn't playing his best. He knows why he only got two shifts in the third period on Tuesday night. And, you know, he's, we don't know like exactly what Taylor Hall was like when he was younger. You know, you hear some rumors, like maybe a younger Taylor Hall doesn't handle that situation very well, but he's, he's very mature now and like you can yeah. tell like you know he he takes that stuff to heart like uh, i'm he didn't need to be benched in the third period to know that he wasn't playing well like he would have been on that regardless f- trying to figure out what can i do better how can i do it better what do i have to do in practice so like all all of that um and yeah it was, it, it was a big bounce back for him and yeah 
they and they needed it obviously in a game where there wasn't much offense and the team really wasn't playing very well. It wasn't smooth, wasn't um, creating a ton of chances, but you know, still kind of sloppy in their own zone. So, you know, someone had to be that spark, at least to, to an extent. And he was, you know, enough to, to break through offensively. And, uh, you know, again, combined with Elmar, like, those are clearly the two guys who carried them to victory tonight. Like, I'm not sure anyone else even really, I, I mean, Grizzlick for his first game back at that played well. So like he's a, put him in the plus column as well. But other than that, like there, there wasn't really a lot going on. I do. I do want to echo what Scott said. I think it's, I think it's something we see that other people don't get to see, but because we talk to to the players all the time, like Taylor Hall is one of the easily one of the most mature guys that we talk to. Um, he always has the right answer. He has a, the right attitude, and um, you know, I've never kind of like come away from talking to him thinking he said anything that was you know cra- crazy out there or immature or. Um, even frustrated, he doesn't really let things get to him. So he he is one of these more mature guys. When you talk to him, you can just tell. Um, switching over to Grizzlick, if you want to. Um, uh, we also got a chance to talk to him. I asked him, um, you know, how he he came back only five games in, you know, was that earlier than he expected? And he said, yes, he didn't rush his recovery, but he felt like he was good to go. Um, and you know, it was important for him to feel confident going into the game that he was 100% ready, and he said he was. Well, I thought he was a bright spot on the defense tonight, obviously, considering it was his first game back, and I, I thought he helped cover up some blemishes back there. I, uh, I, I thought I thought once again, Connor Clifton played a strong game back there. I mean, maybe from the ninth floor, there were a couple of plays you guys noticed that I didn't on TV that maybe he was... No, I, th- I thought Clifton was strong, too, yeah. and, and yeah. ended up at... 24 minutes, which I think only Hampus Lindholm had played more tonight. Which, by the way, he also laid this check at the blue line that flattened someone and led to the Jake DeBrus goal that got called back. But if that goal had counted, like we'd be talking a lot more about Connor Clifton because he laid just an absolute clean check, separated the puck, and I think Zaka got it to DeBrusque, who finished his own rebounder or whatever. So, like, it, it was a play that led to a scoring chance, um, even though it got ended up being the goal that got called back. He he's been showing his strengths, which is his physicality. And and he did it in McAvoy-esque fashion too, where he kind of stepped up on a player in a part of the game where the Bruins were just flat. I mean, I thought the Bruins were pretty I thought both teams were pretty bad all night, to be honest with you. I thought it was I thought it was kind of like a you know a summer beer league type game out there just with a bunch of NHL players it was really really sloppy I mean there weren't there weren't many I don't think either team had many plays where there were more than two consecutive uh tape to tape passes it was just one of those pinball type games but I thought Connick Clifton showed himself well but to to Matt Grizzlick who you brought up uh Bridget the um you know it's very it's very impressive that he was able to step right in no preseason no training camp whatsoever and Matt Grizzly just kind of looked like Matt Grizzly, which is it is a compliment. Like you, you didn't notice yeah. him in a bad way, and he just made the plays that he had to make. And for somebody who hasn't seen NHL action since end of April, early end of April, um, I thought I thought he he had a great game and really helped. Like I said, 
uh, cover up what could have been another, I don't, I don't want to say Ottawa game because I don't think Anaheim was going to score seven even strength goals on you. No. But you could just tell they were sloppy. You know, forwards are sloppy too, but he just, there was a calming presence when he was back there. Yeah, and he, yeah. he started out on a pair with Jacob Zaboral, and that pair did not stay together long because what Montgomery said was he got promoted, Grizzly got promoted to the top pair to play with Lindholm. And then they stuck together for, you know, I think most of the second period and all of the third period. Um, and it was intentional by Montgomery to put his best, who he thought in, in tonight's game was the best two defensemen together on the top pair. Yeah. And that's something we could definitely see more of going forward because the Bruins really haven't settled on, haven't really been able to settle on a top pair yet. Uh, you know, they start the season with Lindholm and Carlo, Carlo gets hurt. Try it with Riley. Riley's been, you know, a little up and down. He he looks better next to Lindholm because I think Lindholm, you know, can can cover for some issues. But now you bring in Grizzly, and you know, the only thing there is like neither one is really has really played a ton on their offside. You know, Grizzly mentioned that, but I think he can, and I also think Lindholm can play in his off. Like if you watch tonight, uh, there were a lot of times where even even if technically it was Riley who was playing on his offside early on, they switched a bunch. And same mm-hmm. thing with Grizzly when he got moved up. Like, technically it was Lindholm on the left, Grizzly on the right. But they would, like, it, you know, there's obviously natural times to switch depending on how play develops. But there were times that they would switch and then just stay switched and Lindholm would play on the right side for the rest of the shift. So I could definitely see that being a, a pair that Jim Montgomery uses a lot more just because it, it at least has the potential to be, you know, pretty clearly like the best pair that they could have right now. It's a very fast pair, right? It like it has, it takes the best of Grizzly. If, if he can play the same as he did um, in his first game back, it takes the best of Grizzly, which is that like fast, his feet move so fast. Like he can move the puck really well. And then Lindholm, who's also, these are two guys that power that quarterback your power play. Right. So, um, Lindholm has been doing the the top unit quarterbacking with McAvoy out. And now it had been Riley Grizzly comes and takes over his spot partway through the game, um, quarterbacking that second unit of the power play. He didn't the first two power plays, but then after that, they got him in for that. Um, so these are two guys that you're comfortable with, you know, defensively and moving the puck and, and using their skills and speed. So it, it's a very skilled top unit, our top defensive pair. By the way, Grizzly ended up, just over 20 minutes of ice time, 2002. Uh, Mike Riley, by the way, lowest on the blue line, ended up 1357. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't great. Um, yeah, he wasn't great. He's over, he, he's thinking way too much out there. Bridget, I'm glad you brought up the power play because Grizzly did take over on that second unit. And of course, it's not because of a lack of skill that he wasn't there to start, it's just they're trying to get him integrated back into the into yeah. the. It kind of just felt like they were like, oh, that's right. Because because yeah. first of all, this is Montgomery's first time coaching the power play. He hadn't had Grizzly to use, and he was just like, oh, that's right. I could use Grizzly. <laughs> Let's go with Grizzly because if he wasn't happy with Riley, which Riley hadn't been super effective quarterbacking the power play, so he got a different look with well, Grizzly. But all – see – I also I don't, don't think, think Grizzly's been able to practice much special teams yet. Yeah. So right. Right. Kind of an easing well. him in situation. Yeah. But I don't. I don't even think Riley's that bad when they're in the ozone. I don't think Lindholm's that bad when they're in the ozone. But I haven't loved either one of those guys 
transitioning on the power play that there's I just I just don't like when when the defenseman carries the puck past their blue line and then kind of just turns their back to the play and slows things down now your back's turning and they're doing too many blind passes expecting that late forward to come with speed but they just seem out of sync and and that's an area where and this is no disrespect to Lindholm but I'd feel more comfortable sooner rather than later putting putting Grizzlick back on that top pair, especially in the transition game. He just he knows th- those wingers better than, than Lindholm does at this stage in in, in his Bruins tenure. And I, I, if I were a betting man, which I'm not because I lose everything I ever bet, um, I would say that it won't be long before we see them integrate Grizzlick onto the top unit, just like he was to start last year, even with McAvoy on the team healthy. Um, I don't know if you guys have an, any any opinion on on that on the transition on the power play because it the power plays looked stale. Even yeah, that, but it's looked stale. I thought every, everyone in in transition on the power play, like not even just the defenseman, like even if it was Pasternak or Hall or DeBrusque bringing the puck up, like I don't know, if, you know, if Anaheim was throwing something at them that like they weren't expecting or whatever, but it seemed like they. Flying we beat. get to the blue line and it was the like either, yeah <laughs> like yeah and like they're either running into traffic or like the passing lanes they wanted were weren't there and they're kind of just like flipping it to nowhere um but yeah it was it was very sloppy it, it seemed like they could not get the the looks for an entry that they were expecting or that they wanted to get no, I mean, they, went, yeah. they went all for five on the power play yeah. all right i mean and i think they only Anaheim had five shots just, too yeah. yeah they and and the first two, they didn't get any. The first two power plays, they didn't have a single shot, I don't think. So it, 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 and the one shot that I do remember them getting was just like a redirection from Jake DeBrusque. It, it wasn't like a super, like, hot. Anyway, yeah, both teams were not that great on the power play because Anaheim also went 0 for 4. So the, it, the, it, the power play, the power play is something that I've been trying to keep an eye on though with Jim Montgomery because that was one of his specialties in St. Louis was that was their power play. And it was one of it was one of the Bruins' faults last year was under Bruce Cassidy was transitioning from your end to setting up on the, in the offensive zone on the power play was a struggle at times for the Bruins and oftentimes it was because they would elect to the puck carrier would would elect to dump the puck off to one of their teammates just inside the blue line whatever side of the ice they're on without and that guy was oftentimes flat footed and I just thought it was an easy pickings for the for the penalty killers and I I want. I want to see the Bruins just enter the zone with more speed and decisiveness. If look, if you if you're entering with speed, but they're clogging the blue line, that's fine. Just dump it in and get after it because you already have a full head of steam and they're flat footed. But I don't like when they're trying to they're trying to you know pickpocket their way into the offensive zone and try to pass between skates and get it to the guy posting up on the blue line. Just it that that's too easy for the PK and and. One of the things that what Jim Montgomery was supposed to implement was a was a really solid uh, power play, and so that's something I'm looking forward to. Bridge, I didn't mean to cut you off, so I'll- no, um, yeah, yeah it, no, I mean really, it, it's kind of funny. Like we we did know he was kind of uh, I wouldn't I don't know if I'd say a power play specialist, but somebody that they liked how how the Bruins liked how he ran his power plays in the past. And he had talked to Scott or maybe the whole media uh, preseason about maybe even going five forwards on the power play. And I was told by Dave Starman that he actually, when he was at Denver used to run three defensemen on his power play, um, like had three defensemen and two forwards on this power play. So he's not afraid to get creative on the power play. We just haven't really seen it too much yet. 
that was with a, a crazy roster at yeah. Denver that like had, that was with Will Butcher. Yeah, that got like more offense from its blue line than its forwards. I don't think general. the Bruins are going to be effective no. with that one. But um, just saying, he he likes to kind of like just throw things off, go off script every once in a while with his power play. Just so, just beware. Yeah, and and also, uh, John, the power play is also John Gruden's specialty. Their new defensive coach who. Um, you know, coaches the defense, yes, but is also like a power play specialist. That's what he did with the Islanders, and he is part of um, the power play coaching this year. So it's really Montgomery and Gruden, the the two new guys. So um, you know, Sacco has always been more in charge of the penalty kill. Uh, you know, Chris Kelly had, probably has some input on both, but it, I don't think it's directly responsible um, for either. So. Yeah, you know, so it is probably something new and might take some time, but um, I think we've seen it look pretty good at times when they've been able to get in the zone and have some movement. But yeah, clearly still stuff to work through, especially in terms of getting into the zone. Final point on the power play that I have is that um, Pasternak, it, it, they're just going too much to Pasternak. Like you, you can tell guys know like, okay, we're just going to send two guys over to cover Pasternak because, you know, everybody's looking for the pass over there for the one timer. And Montgomery said, so he said they, it seems like everybody's too, too eager to throw it over to pass it over to Pasternak. And then, and other teams know that even strength and on the power play and they're able to kind of send two guys over there or, or, pressure Pasternak and, and make him less effective. So it's maybe time to find some of the other options on the power play. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things they've done a couple times this year that has helped uh, alleviate some of that, you know, focus on Pasternak's one timer is they switched Pasternak over to the right side to his strong side. And that's created some chances. You know, he had one shot from over there that led to a Bergeron rebound goal. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to take time, and they're probably going to have to try some different looks, and and that that always changes throughout the season because you'll find they'll find something that works, teams will catch on, and then it won't work, and then you got to change something again. So, and and also when it comes to their power play, I also really do believe that both in transition and in the offensive zone. I mean, we it, it can't be understated how much of an absence Brad Marchand is, right? I mean, he. In both aspects, he's an absolute game changer. And uh, when, as Scott mentioned, they have they have moved Pashnak a lot from his offside to his strong side, oftentimes in the same shift. Like there's times where in, in, in the same 20 seconds, he's on one side, then he's on the other side. When you have a playmaker like Brad Marsh and he's able to to find those seams wherever Pashnak is in the offense normal. Right now you're kind of missing that because Bergeron's the bumper guy. Um, you know, DeBrusque, he can make plays but not at the not at the rate and the efficiency that somebody like Marshan can. And Taylor Hall, I would say the same, put him in the same category as as DeBrus, where he's capable, but um he just doesn't have that magic touch like Marshan does. So I, I I think I think when he comes back in the in the lineup, a lot of these power play woes, hopefully, um will, will go by the wayside. But um definitely something to keep an eye on going forward. I, uh, yes, go ahead. I did have one actually extra note about the power play, which was just that it started out the game with DeBrusque on the top unit um, with Bergeron, Pasternak, Krejci, and Lindholm. Um, and it seems like Montgomery's riding the hot hand because DeBrusque, the previous game, spent most of the time on that top unit. But this game, once Taylor Hall, once coach started seeing how well Taylor Hall was playing, he promoted Taylor Hall to the top power play unit and he was there for 
most of the most of the game. Maybe not the first one or two power plays, but definitely the final three. I would say he was promoted to that top unit. Yeah, and and I, I would say Taylor Hall had a really strong second half of the game. I think that DeBrusque was stronger in the first period, at least. And I think well, yeah, he scored. He did score, but also he was. He was, you know, again, he was just doing a lot of the same things we saw against Florida and 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 Ottawa, despite the defensive lackluster effort by the team. But he's, he, he you said it, you said it exactly right. When it comes to those two, he's kind of just feeling who has the hot hand, and and he's putting that person out there on on those power plays. Um, somebody who is not getting power play time anytime soon is one Jack Studenica. Um. You know, we talk about we talk about him a lot in, in, in the offseason because he's, you know, he's one of these players who's just been trying to, you know, make the team, make the team, make the team. And last year he had a great camp, didn't make the team. We surmise that it probably hindered his confidence. And to that, we've always said, look, you can only let that affect you for so long. This year, he makes the team, but not the opening night lineup. I do believe that it has a similar effect not being in the opening night lineup after a strong camp, but I, but I am in a hundred percent agreement with actually scratch that 104% agreement with Scott in the fact that you cannot feel bad. Um, when you're in that situation, you made the team tough shit. You weren't in the opening, opening night lineup, you know, you're going to get your chance. He got his chance tonight. And to say he squandered it is, is putting it lightly. I thought he was atrocious and, this is not me trying to be mean to the to the individual, but he was just really he was really bad. I mean, I, I think he had eight minutes of ice time, maybe a little bit less. I know he was at seven thirty six when he took his second penalty of the game in the third period, but let's just break down his game real quick. Yeah. Like we've said, you're trying to you're trying to make the coaches have an impossible decision to take you out of the lineup, and all he did was have zero shots on goal, no no goals, no assists unless you want to count his second assist to Anaheim on the Frank Paterno goal, because he just <laughs> the puck over at the offensive blue line, which is an absolute no, no. I think Anaheim he tweeted scored. about that. I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet from Brian. Yeah. Underscore. Well, <laughs> he, wrong team dash one. And he takes a penalty 200 feet away from his own goal behind the Anaheim net. And you can say it was a soft call. I think it was a penalty. Don't put yourself in that position. I think it was a new age NHL penalty. Call I was going to say, want. I think they called it the wrong penalty because it wasn't a trip, but if they wanted to call like a, a hook or a hold or something else, maybe. I, either way, it just, it just it, you can't, you can't, it's going to get called. But furthermore, you're in a, you're in a one, one hockey game with, you know, under 10 minutes to go in the game and you take a peewee minor classic 10 year old penalty where you just, hack the stick of, of, of the opponent right in front of the ref and you go to the box and he is fortunate. The only way this game could have gone worse for him was if, if Anaheim scored on that power play and they won the game two to one barring that, which they didn't. I don't know if we see Jack Seneca again, unless five forwards go out of the lineup. Yeah. And by the way, he takes that penalty in the third period on his first shift of the third period after being benched for the first 10 minutes. So just like and that one was that was an egregious like um, like frustration undisciplined penalty. It wasn't like, oh, you know, a ticky tacky. No, that one was like you could maybe say the first one was, you know, give or take it as a penalty. But this one was clear as day. 
not stopping anyone from doing a play. It was like after the guy got rid of the puck, it was just an undisciplined thing where he could see the frustration that he hadn't, you know, been doing as well as he'd hoped just boil over and almost hurt the team. Uh, it, it could have ended up hurting the team. And that's, that's what you really can't do. I mean, obviously, I mean, the, the three notes I took that included Jackson, Nika, uh, in my notes from the game were the turnover, <laughs> which like he got his, he got poke checked, whatever ends up going in the net, the other side of the ice and the two penalties. And when yeah, that's all you're, when that's that, all like, it's not, like, it's not whatever. Like it was a horrible play. You've got to be way more aware than that. Yeah. The no, it was, it was in a really bad position. It was at the blue line. You don't want to turn it over in your hey. offensive blue line. Give hey, someone guys. the other way. He thought it was Thanksgiving. Don't blame him for the turnover. <laughs> well, my my point is that when the three things we notice you for, uh, like, uh, of your game were all negative things, that's really not a great way to start the season. We're not the only ones to see it. Everybody saw it. The coaching staff saw it. Montgomery was a little bit lighter on him. Um, maybe that's just his style, but he said, you know, he didn't have a great game, but a lot of us didn't have a great game. It was kind of one of those. So he didn't want to negatively comment about Seneca. And he also got asked the question, well, is this a perfect opportunity for you to put him in for another game? Like see if he can get going, like put, give him some consistency, put him in next game as well. And Montgomery just said, maybe. Yeah. And I, and I took that maybe to mean more of a no, like I, (laughs) I don't expect him to be in the lineup on Saturday. It's like Mark um, Wahlberg in The Departed. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. Yeah, but, you know, it was more of a maybe not without like that imply. It was implied. Yeah. yeah, and like we've talked about it plenty about like yeah, it's tough when you have to sit so long and then you get you know one game to make a, an impression. But like, even if you don't set the world on fire, like you, you can't be a negative. And unfortunately for Staniga, he was a negative on on Thursday night. Like. Yeah, it's tough, and yeah, maybe you know he could do better with the second game. But like at the same time, Bruins have a competitive lineup right now, and Jim Montgomery is, I think, is pretty clearly shown he's going to play the guys he thinks give give him best chance to win. And like we can, you know, ag- agree or disagree with some of the d- decisions, you know, Stanika versus No Second opening night or like whatever, but clearly like that's what he's doing you know craig smith was health healthy scratch for a second straight game so that that wasn't that first healthy scratch that wasn't just a, a message sending and like okay i'm gonna bench no, him that one was, game and I'm I'm back playing, in. Uh, you're not in my my top yeah. four units you're just not you're not in the, the top forwards you're the guy that's um you know coming behind uh even well i guess lauko was out today but last game he was behind Lauko in, in the depth chart uh, Smith was. Yeah. And even like uh, Stanika getting in, I don't know that like, that might be the one exception of, you know, I don't know if Jim Montgomery, like in an honest moment would tell you that he thought Jack Stanika was one of the 12 forwards who gave them the best chance to win tonight. Or if it was because he had said even like over the weekend that he did want to get Stanika into a game, you know, coming up this week. Um, because he doesn't want guys sitting too long. Yeah. So like maybe that, like that's it, but it's, you know, you're not going to stay in the lineup if you play, like he's not going to give you two, three, four games because he doesn't want you sitting too long. You get one game to make an impression. And if he had played well or even had a decent game, maybe there'd be another one, but I, 
I would be surprised if Stanika stays in for Saturday. And think about it this way, too. They put Stanika in on the third line, and they had to move Charlie Coyle from center to wing. So they had to kind of shuffle the lineup to try to get him in, just to try to make him fit, because they didn't think they wanted to play him on the wing. So they wanted to try him in his natural position. They end up having to displace Charlie Coyle. Trent Frederick didn't get all that many minutes either. The the third line seemed to be thrown off by the addition of Jackson Nika. So it's not only just that he didn't help his own cause. It's just that he doesn't have a natural fit on the third line. I don't think because like, like Charlie Coyle is the center on the third line. So you're looking at putting him as the fourth line center or nowhere. Pretty much. I'm glad you brought that up. Bridget. It's a great point. Cause I was, that's, that's one of the things I was going to mention too. It's like, Aside from the fact that he didn't take advantage of his opportunity, like, quite frankly, Trent Frederick did the other night when he got into his first game of the year. He was noticeable. He had one of his better games as a Bruin. And in the following game, he scored, He had his first goal of the season. Not only did Jack Seneca just play poorly for Jack Seneca, but if you're a coach, like you just said, you're looking at that line, and because you had Seneca there, Charlie Coyle wasn't able to be as effective as Charlie Coyle at, as he is at center because he was playing the wing and it, he was doing a solid for the coaching staff and, and, and for Stanika to give him an opportunity, but exactly right. That, that line was out of sync. So, um, you know, another, another interesting lineup decision. And again, part of making room for Stanika was to put uh, AJ Greer down to the fourth line and make no mistake about it. You know, I, I guess if you were to go back and watch the tape, the Ottawa game, maybe there were a few plays that he was out of position. I'm talking about AJ Greer, but again, <laughs> the whole team was, so I don't, you can't really hold that against him, but he has done nothing to play himself out of that third line role. He has three goals in four games, right. Going into tonight. So um, yeah, they had, they had to, they had to bend over backwards to get Jack sneak of the opportunity tonight. And he just, he just totally plummeted on, onto the bright lights. And unfortunately for the player, like we've said all along, you know, not making the team, making the team, not making the opening lineup, whatever it is. Yeah, it sucks, but you're going to get an opportunity. And if you get it, when you get it, if the player doesn't perform, that's in the player. And that's where I stand on him right now. That it's told whatever happens with Jack Sneaka going forward, not getting opportunities is, is because of Jack Sneaka and Jack Sneaka alone in his play tonight. Um, so yeah, that's 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 where I stand on, on on Jackie boy. Sorry, buddy, but it's just kind of is what it is. I wish I wish we could say you had a couple goals tonight. No, it, it once again, it kind of feels like the what what could have been kind of Jacksonica story. Like what could have yeah, been but, if just like if just this butterfly effect didn't happen, and it just like feels like there were a lot of decisions that maybe things could have been different. But we're stuck here again talking about same old same old as last season early on in the year and the to AJ Greer AJ Greer is good enough to keep himself in the lineup because you could put him anywhere in the bottom six and he's you know he's comfortable he seemed to be comfortable on on the fourth line with the guys on the fourth line Felino and Nosik he plays well with Frederick and Coyle and he has absolutely done nothing to you know warrant a healthy scratch at this point well and he has a unique skill set that he brings to the roster that not a lot of guys on the, on, the, on the team have. So yeah, I would say Felino and Greer have done solid jobs of making their case to stay in. Yeah. Another, another good game for Felino. I thought, I mean, didn't chip off the page, but you know, he was fine. No. Um, yeah. My question is, I mean, we, we asked this last podcast, but like what happened to Craig Smith? I, I guess to change it a little bit, like 
what happens now with Craig Smith? Yeah. Uh, great question. I don't know. Um, I think he probably, he'll get in podcast. I, (laughs) all right guys, that's it. (laughs) I would bet that he plays Saturday, but I'm not super confident in it. Like he's going to get back in sometime soon. So whether it's Saturday or early next week, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to need to see a lot more from him. Like, especially if he's still not really seeing much special teams time, then it has to be at five on five. And I, the issue is, like, where is the best fit for him? Because I, I don't really think it's on the fourth line. Like, and I, I, I think don't know. to me, to me, Felino Nosek Lauko has been probably the best fourth line they've had, and Frederick Coyle Greer has been the best third line they've had. So, you know, if Smith gets back in, like, he needs to, he needs to convince Montgomery and, and the coaching staff that he is the best fit somewhere and that he deserves to stay in, like. In in theory, Craig Smith should be playing over Jacob Lauka like that, and or Jackson Nico like that shouldn't. He should be a better player than them. But and by the if, way, if he's kind be... of like invisible out there and not, you know, really making a difference on on his shifts, then they're gonna play the guys who are and like, you know, not that Jacob Lauka has like lit the world on fire, but he's made an impact. Like he's at least a couple times a game, you notice him, whether it's, you know, being physical on the forecheck or drawing a penalty or using his speed to, to try to create something. And Craig Smith, too many shifts this season, you don't really notice him. And, and that like, not in the good way, not in like, well, Hey, at least he's not making mistakes. It's like, no, like that's not good enough. Like you've got to make things happen. And he's, he hasn't done that. Uh, really at all, but certainly not consistently this season. And by the way, Brad Marchand is going to come back. Pavel Zaka is going to get pushed back to the third line and who's going to be on and, and play on the left side um, most likely. And then who's going to play on the right side. You think, Oh, it's going to be Zaka Coyle Smith, but will it be? Uh, I'm not thinking that's their best option at third line at this point. I mean, I think, I think it's a good problem to have though, right? Like to have yeah, this but- competition all year is going to keep these guys honest and on their and in theory on on their toes rather than on their heels and complacent but it's also a problem though uh just when salary comes back Mm -hmm. and it becomes like okay craig smith could be an easy way to get rid of salary if you do make a trade um he that doesn't help him out either because marshawn's contract is going to go back on the cap and mcavoy's contract is going to go back on the yeah. cap at some point in november well, so mark just to clarify martians is already there okay he, he never on, yeah but mcavoy's so mcavoy's contract will come back into play towards the salary cap um and at that point in time they're going to have to make decisions like we mentioned and some of the other guys lauko's contract and and you know some of the guys contracts aren't hitting the cap very hard but Smith is one of those guys in that $3 million range. I mean, I, I do think, though, you do want to play him at some point, though, to a, yeah. a, help your team or B, help his value. And I think when it comes to when Scott brings up, like, where's his fit? Like, I, I think it's a valid question based off of how everybody's currently playing and, and whatnot. But I think the question you have to ask yourself if you're the management is like and the coaching staff is, well, which player in that bottom six has the highest ceiling that, like, we kind of want to see what they can do. So for example, if you look at Trent Frederick and you say to yourselves, well, yeah, Trent Trent's good for a good game every 10, but like we think he can only score 10 goals. And then you have 
Craig Smith on the ninth floor, who you think when he plays his best can get you 20 goals. Like he, again, his ceiling is higher than that of Loco and Frederick. And I mean, based off history, AJ Greer, but he's off to a really good start. Uh, it, it's higher offensively than Nick Foligno and Thomas Nosek. Like when you have, when you have Craig Smith on the ninth floor, you, you have potential 20 goals on the ninth floor. Yeah. So it's, you want to see if you can extract that from him, but there's going to come a point in time where it's just, it's, it's too late for him, but it's not right now. He's going to get some more opportunities. Yeah. yeah and, and we, and go ahead. Fred Frederick's probably the one to target. Like if you're looking at where can he go, uh, you can certainly still see a third line combo of Greer, Coyle, Smith working. That's what they started the season with. Um, and you know, we know Frederick can tend to be inconsistent. So like there's absolutely a chance that that door opens up and Craig Smith better be ready to burst through when it does. Or, or Coyle Smith and Zaka and you have Greer on the fourth line and some sort of combination too. Yeah. yeah. When everybody's healthy. Um, do you guys have your Pooh Bear jerseys on, on pre-order yet or what? <laughs> I actually asked Scott. Scott's not a Jersey person. Soccer jersey person. He likes. Okay, wait. I like soccer jerseys at them, but he won't wear one. No, I. I, So I like soccer jerseys because they're very practical and they're very comfortable, and I could wear them every day in the summer. Uh, I don't buy a lot. I don't. I haven't bought a hockey jersey in a long time because I. I'm at the games as a reporter. Like I don't go to games as a fan anymore, and Mm. I don't find hockey jerseys to be particularly practical to like wear just like around like it's i don't know they're kind of never owned one they're, they're sort of like awkward they're not super super comfortable and they're uh, very expensive sorry to yes, start this segment off like just not I, like really scott, encouraging well, anyone to get one scott scott's full of shit because i ran into him at a target one time and he was wearing a trent frederick jersey so i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> Oh God! So okay, yeah, we'll go. Well, let's let's get into the reverse retros. They were all over Twitter today, and I knew Brian and Scott, you guys were going to have a field day on um, a very much needed fashion segment. So I will let you guys take the floor. Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I like the Pooh Bear. What do you want me to say? It, it, I, I like the Pooh Bear. It reminds it reminds me of the glory days being a, being. I mean, a I even just like room. saying Pooh Bear. Yeah. So I I don't like the Pooh Bear. Oh, but get I out do, of here! Will you stop? But I do Please. like these jerseys. I I gotta admit that like it, they really it really pops on the white. Like I I always thought with the yellow it looked kind of because yeah, like it looks the, better on the, the white. The bear the bear is like part you know kind of mostly brown and put that on yellow and it was like just like a kind of a gross color combo and. I don't think it would have really worked on black either getting, you know, dark bear on a, you know, black Jersey, but on the white, like it, it's sharp. I, I got to admit it's, it's really sharp. Which bear do you like better? Pooh bear or crack bear? Meth bear. <laughs> meth bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say meth bear. Uh, people were like just putting the side by side with meth bear, but I, no, I, I, love, like them. I love meth bear. I hope that ends up on the winter classic Jersey. I'm gonna cut that to just as I love yeah. meth. You know, those, you know, like those um, that 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 like gif or or meme or whatever. It's like this is your brain, and then this is your brain on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the poo bear and then the meth bear, yeah. side by side. Uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought the um, I'm glad they went with white over black too for the same reason. It, the the 
the bear pops better. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought the, I think the reverse retro series is I love it. I, I love the first rendition of it. I hate the fact that they just toss them in a dumpster after, once they're done using them, like never to be worn again. It's kind of annoying. Like, why can't these teams just keep in the, keep them in their rotation, just wear them once or twice a year, and just have like a nice little roll decks of jerseys? Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah, Maybe how many times are they it? supposed to wear them this year? Six, six, six or seven, and they're all bef- and they're all bef- they're all in twenty twenty two. So when the calendar flips, I'm sure they're gonna have a winter classic jersey that they're gonna yeah. obviously debut, and then yeah. they'll probably just wear that. Um, you know, whatever. So, but yeah, um. You know, the, we could probably talk for a little bit longer about the jerseys, but I, I like I like the I like the concept of the, of the reverse retro program. Um, definitely some some that stood out. Definitely some that were not good. I mean, whoever is in the Red Wings design department needs to be fired. I don't call for anybody's job for real, but come on, pick it up. The, the last one you don't like the stripes, just stripes. Oh well, let's take let's take it back to the first one they had, where it was just a white jersey with the Red Wings logo on it. I mean. My goodness! Oh, th- my, my bad. There was a gray strip on the very bottom. But um... <laughs> yeah, the, I mean the red. The thing about the Red Wings is like they're they just nailed their look like so long ago that they've yeah. had so few alternate jerseys <laughs> or like ch- jersey changes over the years. Like the whenever like they got to this design in I don't know, like the 1940s or whatever, they're like, yeah, we nailed it, and they've just stuck with it, and they're right, like. They didn't. They did nail it. Their jerseys are great. They don't need anything. So, but then you get to something like this with like the reverse retro, and it's like, uh, we did this thing in 1932 once. Like, yeah, I was a little disappointed. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, that's just that that looks like Reading Reading High School's JV. It kind of looks like a soccer, a little bit like soccer. Yeah, Bridget yeah. Bridget's showing us on the screen their new reverse retros this year, which it's just a red jersey with a couple black stripes. Um. I was a little disappointed, Scott, in the Canadians one because I I was promised like full blown Montreal Expos and they kind of half assed it. They didn't. Yeah, really they only went with in. colors. Well, they, they just they, they didn't put the red in. They, they didn't put the red in. They, it was just like the blue and white, and then the only red they relied on was the existing Canadians logo. But I was I was hoping for them to go full out Expos and they kind of they kind of half assed it. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, I still really like that one though. That that really worked for me. Like that's. I like that's the way the colors work with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and I like the the Panthers that are the same yeah, color. Dark. Like theirs is, you know, the light blue, and then with like the dark blue around it. And I like. I don't even love that that you know alternate logo that they have, but those jerseys, those were great. I think they they nailed theirs. Hurricanes yeah. is also boring. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll tell. I mean, Maple Leafs. I honestly, they're they're not the that Maple Leafs, The Maple Leafs are the laziest program. <laughs> they I, literally the didn't change sport. it. All they they the Maple Leafs. They're 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 so. They they. Oh, here's the, here comes the part of the program. <laughs> no, they're too. They're they're so, like they they aren't even taking part in the program. Like they they literally just. It's just a it's a Maple Leafs jersey. There's nothing reverse or retro about it. It's a blue Maple Leafs jersey. I, now, te- technically, what they're gonna say is no, Brian. Actually, actually, Brian, those were our third jerseys in 2007. Um, hey. But they're blue instead of white. Yeah, I know. I get it. I know it's a reverse retro technically, but it's a it's a straight up Maple Leafs jersey. Yeah, no it is. And, and what the hell is this Tampa Bay Lightning jersey? That's their that's their third jersey from like the 90s. What in the? Uh, it's a cartoon <laughs> jersey. I want to throw up. 
I'm looking at it right now. And also Calgary. That, Calgary I think has like some... that was those jerseys in the nineties. I think like those were designed by like the same people who did like the mighty duck breaking through the brick wall one. Like, yeah, we just got some, some of and those just like crazy jerseys in the nineties. They're like yeah. all sorts of different weird colors. They got waves, fire and lightning. Which one? They're oh, blue, yeah. they're gray, they're white, they're yellow. And then they're a different color blue. Yeah, I don't even know, guys. I don't I don't know what I'm looking at. And then Calgary has this like weird like so side that, swipe. That, that's their um that's from their early 90s jerseys. They had red, they had that in red and white, red jersey, white jersey. So they did that in black. I think when Jerome McGinley first was on Calgary, they had those jerseys. So that's that's a little bit ago. I'm gonna tell you which ones I hate besides those ones. And Scott disagrees with me about one of these. I like the Islanders. You do or don't? I don't like the Islanders. Yeah, I like the Fishman, but I don't like the modern colors with it. I do not like the Florida Panthers. Uh, There's no, is just you're a stun. You're on an island. I'm just saying they're not. There's nothing in, Panthers in, about this. You're in the Florida Keys in that one. <laughs> there's nothing Panthers about this shirt. It's just no, a stun. It, well, it, it it is though. It's it's technically it's their '90s jerseys and honestly to. 2000 jerseys too but instead of red blue or white red navy or white it's in their like 08 alternates powder blue but it is the jersey template they used to, to wear. me if i saw this like out of context i wouldn't have known it was a panthers jersey um looks like sharks. the waves that Gordon don't Bombay like the says. sharks jersey see this is the one i do like i yeah i don't like it I've, I've always liked the old california golden seals colors and jerseys so no i don't like i'm, the a, I'm a fan of it I, don't like, I like the I like the, uh, I like the Devils jersey with the Devils logo and the Scouts and the Kansas City Scouts colors. I think that's pretty nice. And this um, one, Scott and I agree on. The Edmonton Oilers reverse retros look like mm-hmm. the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. look like that spaceship I, from Star Wars. I don't even yeah. know what that's supposed well, to be, but it's it looks like, like freaking the Millennium Falcon. It's isn't it, isn't it like an oil something? It's it's yeah. from it's 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 straight up their alternates from like. 2006 or whatever it doesn't four but it's just a little bit of orange in it though yeah i, nev- I never liked those that yeah, that alternate boring. logo like so. first first thing i saw was a spaceship i was like <laughs> that why do they i think they're gonna get copyright problems with star wars for this jersey but robo um, apparently robo that's not what this is hmm? robo robo pens back to in pittsburgh i like <laughs> yeah, that i like that, that um that's one and, of my favorites. Oh, you know a team we saw tonight, the Ducks, they went back to their old school jerseys, but with their current colors. And if if I had it my way, they'd be they'd go back to the old colors. But I'm hoping at the very least that this reverse retro for Anaheim becomes their permanent away jersey at the very least. And then they go with the orange ones with the duck logo, because I hate their current jerseys as we as we know. But anyway, um as we can talk about this for hours, but we all have to go to bed. Not me. Yeah, well. Scott and I will we'll talk offline. We'll just Plus, we have to record our bonus episode on the new Taylor Swift album. So oh, I already listened to some of it on the way home because it took way too long for me to get home. I listened to like the first five songs, but all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Bruins. That'll be episode one twenty three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Episode episode one twenty two and a half coming in a couple hours. L- but thanks. L- for little did Odyssey know that when they told us we had to do three episodes a week, now that we're just going to mix in Taylor Swift reviews. <laughs> Yeah, we we didn't say it had to be Bruins, did we? <laughs> so so um, Bruins are four and one. They haven't played necessarily great hockey, but they're four and one. So we'll take that. And they have the Wild 
and a Saturday matinee at the garden. So um, enjoy that. And we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.